Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Morning. Um, as uh, you already met, if you haven't met us before, my wonderful wife Rachel, we get the great honour of uh, leading Elevation in Mandra, Western Australia. If you're like, I've never heard of that before, it's okay. We're about an hour south of Perth on uh, the coast. It's you know paradise. There's dolphins jumping everywhere and all that. But we won't we won't go there. We won't put we won't put you off with that. But it's an absolute uh, privilege. I want to honour our lead pastors, Pastors Miles and Bonnie, uh, for their continued leadership and vision and care right across Elevation. It's amazing. Um, I also want to honour your location pastors, uh, Sanjeev and Jocelyn. Come on, how, come on, how exciting is that to say your location pastors at Hills? It's been a bit of a journey, but we believe over your lives, Sanjeev and Jocelyn, that God has called you for such a time as this that He has weaved your stories, uh, your lives together. This church, these people to be right here, the right place at the right time for such a time as this. And the, uh, the future of this location of Elevation Hills is exciting. And so uh, honoured to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having Rachel and myself. Yeah, come on, honour your location, Pastor. So good. Uh, but today I get the great privilege of continuing the series which we began last week, which is called As It Is in Heaven. Uh, You may know this already, but the title comes from the prayer that Jesus prayed as He was teaching the disciples how to pray. He starts with honouring Father God. And then He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. He says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, know, that's, that's our prayer, not... Not, Lord, take us from here because we just can't bear it. Let's just go somewhere else. No, no, no. Instead, instead, our prayer is, God, that we would be people that are connected in intimacy with God so that we will see His will and His purpose break out right here in Sydney, uh, right in Western Australia, in Mandra, in Cairns, in Penrith, in wherever, even in Victoria, God. Let Your kingdom come. Let your, even down there, let Your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, so last week, Pastor Miles preached uh, week one of the series about creation, about the glory of God, about His bigness and His majesty. And through this series, in, in the lead up to Easter, our goal is to present to you the gospel story. Gospel is simply uh, a word that means good news. And now when we say story, uh, I'm not referring to a fable or some sort of, you know, imaginary land far, far away. You see, we live in a world where there are many competing stories or gospels. You know, we often make sense of the world and therefore ourselves through story. You know, and many people, uh, many groups, many ideologies are spending a lot of time, uh, a lot of effort, a lot of creativity. They're spending a lot of money communicating their story to the world. They're, they're, they're selling the gospel, their gospel. They're, they're declaring that this is the way the world works. This is the problem. And then we've got 
the solution. And so these stories are communicated through political parties, education systems, social media, movies, entertainment, corporate marketing, just to, just to name a few. But if we as followers of Jesus, if we're not clear on what God's story is, the one true story, the actual good news, then it will be easy for us to get taken along with whatever is the prevailing story in our culture. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he warned about this uh, as he encouraged believers to grow in maturity. This is Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 4, sorry, verse 14. He says this, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And so like I said, uh, starting last week, in the lead up to Easter, we'll discover God's story, the true gospel. Now you may hear this and you might be thinking, okay, yep, yeah, I know this one. Yep, Jesus died for my sins. Got it. But, but that, that's true, obviously. But Miles, just, just to clarify there. But, but um, you're like, who is this guy from Western Australia? Anyway, but that's true. However, as Pastor Miles preached about last week, the story starts so much earlier than that. It starts at creation. It starts at God created the world. That is good news. God created you in His image. That is good news. And so, and so today, uh, I want to take the next key moment uh, in human history, which is known as the fall. And so I want to encourage you, you may know this passage of Scripture well, or, or, or maybe not, that's totally fine. Uh, but I believe that no matter how many times we have heard this, there's still power in God's Word to, to shape us, to challenge us, to convict us, and to, and to encourage us. And so last week we started in Genesis chapter 1, with God created the world. We're only moving two chapters into Genesis 3, and, and, and here's the setup of Genesis 3. Um, quick spoiler, everything is amazing. That's, that's the setup. We start the start of Genesis 3 and God's created this amazing world, the Garden of Eden. He's put man and woman in it, Adam and Eve. They're together as husband and wife. They're naked. They're unashamed. But not only is this a place of physical perfection, it's also a place of the presence of God. It's a place where Adam and Eve are in total intimacy with God, they're, they're naked and unashamed, not only physically, but in their hearts towards God. So they walk in perfect union with each other and with God in Eden, this garden temple where the presence of Almighty God was always there. Amazing. This is, this is, the, this is the setup. But have you ever been in an environment where it feels like everything was great and then something suddenly changes the atmosphere. Maybe you've, um, maybe it's been quiet, and then the noises come. Maybe, uh, maybe you've just put down a small child to bed. Um, you've made your coffee very quietly, as quiet as you possibly can. And you get your coffee. You sit down. You open your Bible, and then the crying starts. Right? Changes. The atmosphere changes the environment. Maybe you've had a big day at work, you've sat down on the lounge, KO Sports on, let's go. The rest of the family are out. Like also, and then you get a phone call, oh, the car's broken down. Oh, this has happened. Something's changed the atmosphere straight away. I, I remember years ago, and my daughter will kill me for telling this story, but she's not here, so you know, that's, that, that's fine. But we were traveling from Perth to Sydney on a plane, 
And our daughter was a, was a toddler. Anyway, the, the flight was going really well back in the good old days when a virgin ticket got you food on a flight. But anyway, that's first world problems. We won't talk about that. But anyway, during this flight, suddenly... Uh, from like the pit of hell, this, this smell just started to waft across the plane. And Rachel and I were like gagging. We're like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. And we looked across our row and the people over there were like, oh my gosh, this is, this is terrible. And you know, you, you're giving each other the eyes like, where is this coming from? And this is, this is confession time. Uh, we look in front of us and I'm going to be careful about how I describe this gentleman. Um, but he was in front of us. He was fairly overweight. Um, he looked from the back hairy and sweaty. And so I must, um, this is confession time here. I gave the people across the aisle, I gave them the, the head nod of the eyes, like, think it's coming from this guy. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, yep, yep, think it's. And they're like, you know, yeah, yeah, we, uh, we agree with you. Must be this guy. Anyway, felt like eternity. We had that smell with us, but you know, it left. Anyway, we get to Perth. We get off the plane and to go to Rachel's parents, it's another two hours drive in the car. We're in the car and suddenly, suddenly this smell reappears and we're like, oh my gosh, it wasn't the hairy, fairly large, sweaty guy in front of us. It was our daughter. What's, what, what's, go, what's going on? I felt so that we're repenting. Lord, please, we repent of that. But something can happen and it just changes the environment straight away. Here we go. Here's a change of environment. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more smelly, no, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Suddenly, human history has changed in those few moments. There's so much here that we could go through. We could spend the rest of the year uh, just speaking out of this, this text. But here's a, here's a couple of points for a couple of things to note. Notice that Satan, personified as the serpent, he comes to Eve subtly. He asks the question, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Do you know even that question is actually a slight misquote on purpose of what God said? with the intent to bring confusion and doubt. So Eve corrects the serpent and says, it's all the trees except the one in the midst, which is the knowledge of good and evil. And then in verse four, as we just read, the serpent then contradicts God and plants a lie. Our author and theologian Dallas Willard says this about this passage of scripture. He says, when the serpent undertook to draw Eve away from God, he did not hit her with a stick. It was an idea. It was with an idea that God could not be trusted and that she must act on her own to secure her own well-being. You see, the fall of mankind comes down to one key thing, trust. 
The question that Satan posed to Eve was, is God trustworthy? The question was really, the, the, the seed that was sown was that surely you know better than God. Surely you know better. And, you know, I know this is a little bit cliche, but do you remember at some point in your life, you've probably done trust falls? You know, those supposed team building exercises where if you were dropped, you probably still have PTSD from it. And we're sorry about that. But, you know, you know, trust falls, right? Imagine for a second that you have to do a trust fall and the person who's going to catch you is the most ripped gym junkie you have ever seen in your life. I mean, this guy or girl, like they're, they're huge, like they're built, they've done the cut and they've done the bulk and they're, they're like ready to go. But not only are they that, they're also the most kind-hearted, consistent person you have ever met in your life. So you're standing there, this you know, machine is behind you, compassionate, nice machine is behind you, ready to, ready to catch you. And you're like, no, no, I'm right. I'm right. I'm just going to fall by myself. Just, you know, move, scooch over a little bit. Like I'm here. I, I, I'm ready to go. That's essentially what Adam and Eve did with God. Like absolutely crazy. And, and guys, just a, just a slight note. Before you get a little well, you know, it was Eve, not us type sort of thing. Can I encourage you, read the text because Adam failed in his God-given assignment. In fact, one commentator says this about Adam. It says, the fact that Adam was with her and that he knowingly ate what God had forbidden indicates that Adam's sin was both an act of conscious rebellion against God and a failure to carry out his divinely ordained responsibility to guard or to keep, which is found in Genesis 2.15, if you're taking notes. Both the garden and the woman that God had created as a helper fit for him. The disastrous consequences of Adam's sin cannot be overemphasized, resulting in the fall of mankind, the beginning of every kind of sin, suffering and pain, as well as physical and spiritual death for the human race. I don't know about you, but often... We can look at that passage, sorry. We can look at Adam and Eve and we can think, you know, idiots, like, like what were they doing? In fact, who knows that sometimes a lot of times in the Bible, you looked at the people and you're like, come on, Jesus, surely you could have chosen some better ones. Like, you know, like you look at the disciples that have been with Jesus uh, all those years and they're still arguing over who is the greatest. You're like, come on, guys, don't you get it? Yeah, you know, you go into the Old Testament, you look at Abram going to Egypt and, you know, he's worried that uh, people will kill his wife. So he says, hey, you know what, tell them you're my sister. You're like, what? Like, God, surely there was some better stuff to work with than that. You fast forward to the New Testament and Peter, who's been with Jesus for years, you know, they're in the guard and the guards are about to take, take Jesus away. And he's told them many times about the suffering he's going he's gonna to take, but Peter's still like, I'll sort it, gets the sword out, you know, cuts the guy's ear off. You're like, come on, Jesus, surely, surely there were some better people to choose than these. But then you look at these people and you look at yourself and you reflect on your own failures, flaws, bad reactions, impure behaviours, insecure thinking, and you realise that we're all the same, that we're all the same. You know, I remember talking with some uh, music 
team, you know, like worship team musos who sometimes never hear. But sometimes those type of people can be like a little bit cynical, like, you know, like just a little bit, being around too much, never anyone here. But anyway, there's, it was years ago and there'd been this uh, new song by Planet Shakers had been released, this new praise song. And the op- opening line from the song was, you are God and I am not. And I remember some people like laughing at that thing. Like, oh yeah, great theology. Like you are God, I'm not like, wow, couldn't you be a little bit more creative than that? But you know, the more I think about it, that is the core of our struggle. Am I God? Am I in charge? Do, do I know best? Or, or does God? I, I know in my own life so many times I need to declare, you are God and I am not. You know more than me. In fact, I'll choose to trust you instead of trusting my own judgment. You see, that is what God's called us to. It says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see, for me, the first real discovery of this was in my teenage years. Uh, for me, during those years, I really struggled to follow God when it felt like everyone at school and around me was not. So I would, I would speak like my friends at school. I would act like my friends. Uh, I had no confidence to follow what I knew to be right. At, at the same time, uh, I knew about church. I've been in INC, our denomination, for, for 30 plus years. I knew that you clapped in the fast songs. I knew that you lifted your hands in the slow songs. I knew that you didn't swear in front of church people, that you tried to you know, keep it all together and make it look like you were doing the right thing. You see, when it comes to understanding the fall, sometimes we associate that with what we perceive to be like the big sins, you know, I didn't come from a background of, of drinking or substance abuse, although maybe you have and you're here and praise God for how He's transformed your life and, and got you on a journey uh, of health and, and wholeness. I didn't have a checkered past with the law or anything like that, although I did get called by the police once because at our Year 12 muck-up day, we borrowed some McDonald's outdoor chairs, you know, but that, that, was about the, that was about the extent of it. But what I did have was an absolute fear of what people thought about me. What, what, what I did have was a value about what others thought far above what God thought. Well, what, what I did have is I let the voices of friends and the people around me define me instead of the voice of God. And you know, even though it was well before my 90s childhood, it's actually the exact same challenge that Adam and Eve faced, whose voice would they trust? Would they trust their own? Would they trust the serpents? Or would they trust God? Would they believe God? Or would they think that they knew a better way? You see, the good news of the gospel, remember the gospel is good news. The good news of the gospel um, is that even though we have all decided to go our own way, we've all decided to trust ourselves above God, that there is always a way back to God through Jesus. As we humbly submit our lives to Him, He moves in power. That, that He changes us 
from the inside out. And so today, as we wrap up in the next few minutes, I, I want to give you just a couple of takeaways. So, so when we look at the four, when we look at, at, at where God has, ha, has moved us, when, when we look at how we've stepped away from God, here's a couple of thoughts. What, what do we need to do? Number one is this. We need to humbly acknowledge that we are fallen. Humbly acknowledge that we are fallen. All of us, even the nicest person you can think of, even Stan the man, wherever he is, even Stan is fallen. Everyone, everyone is fallen from God. You know, and believe it or not, this is actually what the opposite of current culture teaches us. Our society actually teaches you that you are good enough. Just look inside yourself, find the goodness within, let it out, whether it's a Disney movie, whether it's a, whether it's a something else, just find the good within, let it come out and everything will be great. That's the prevailing story of our culture. But sorry, that's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible declares. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If I can just have a little soapbox moment for a second. Often people misquote this scripture and they say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it's full present tense on purpose because I don't know about you, but I consistently fall short of God's glory. No matter how long we've been following Christ for, we all consistently fall short of God's glory. It didn't just happen once. It probably happens daily, weekly, monthly. Why? Because we consistently fall short of God's glory. But the good news is that there is hope. There is salvation that is found in Jesus. In fact, even right at the moment that this happens with Adam and Eve, way back in Genesis 3, as God is declaring judgment of, on sin, there's actually a redemption seed in there. Uh, I want to read this to you, Genesis 3. Uh, this is down into verse 14. We skipped over a few verses. And now this is God declaring judgment over, uh, He declares judgment over the serpent, then over Eve, then over Adam. So this is over the serpent, verse 14. It says, The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see those last two lines in that verse, they're actually a direct reference and prophecy pointing to Jesus Christ. Notice that the verse before, it, it, it says it very generally. It, it, it says your offspring or her offspring. So it starts general, but when it gets to that last verse there that we just read, it gets very specific and it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, this shows us and it's a, it's a foreshadow of the suffering and then the victory of Jesus over Satan and over the power of evil. You know what? Even right, you know, when people say, oh, the Old Testament's all about judgment, all about God judging, the New Testament's all about grace. Not true. Right from the start. Right as God is declaring judgment over the serpent, judgment over Satan, in there is the seed of redemption. In there is the seed of God's grace. In there is the seed of Jesus Christ because He has made a way for us to come back. You see, number one is this. We need to humbly acknowledge that we're fallen. Number two, maybe as the keys come, because this is the last point. I oh, know, not three points, crazy. Anyway, number two is this. We need to humbly 
return to God. Humbly return to God. You know, wherever we are today with God, there is a path back. That's true if you've never followed Him before, but it's also true if you've been following Him and you know, your love for Him has grown cold. Or maybe you've just been going through the motions, just coming to church. Maybe, maybe you're older than I was at 15, but maybe you're in that same thing of, you know, you know that you clap in the fast songs. You know that you lift your hands in the slow songs. Like, you, you, know, you know what church is like. You go through the motions. You know what's got what's to happen. But something on the inside has lost that fire, that verve for God. Something, you, you, you've, you've forgotten that we are all fallen, that we all fall short of God, God's glory. You see, maybe you're here and you've fallen to the original deception of humanity that you know better than God. But I believe there's a number of people here today that God is calling to you. Just as He called to Adam and Eve in the garden, He's calling, where are you? Where are you? There's a cry from God's heart Will you return to me? Will you return to me? Will you return to me in your heart? Will you humbly return to God and lay down your life? Don't, don't try and hide from Him. He's calling to you this morning. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, that gift of eternal life is available today. That we can walk in eternal life of God, not, not just when our time on earth comes to a close, but right here, right now in, in 2023 in Castle Hill, we can live in the eternal life that God has for us. You know, we often say that, you know, just come to God as you are. Come as you are. You can come however as you are, and that's mostly true, but I just wanna put like a little spin on that for a little second. You see, there's one way you can't come to God and that's in pride. We must humbly approach God. The Bible says in James that God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. You see, you can come to God in your mess. You can come to God in your um, rejection. You can come to God in your religiosity. You can come to God in your dual life, one at church and with church people, one at, at work and everywhere else. You can come to God with all that. Bring all your mess. Bring all your failures. Bring all of those things. But you can't come in pride. You can't come saying, God, I know better. If you're really real, God, just show yourself because I don't think you are. I, I find that God tends to not move that way. But what He does respond to is He responds to a humble heart. He responds to a God, I, I, I'm coming. God, I'm coming for I'm coming to you. Uh, uh, people may think I've been following you for years and years, but I know something on the inside has grown cold. So I'm coming to you in humility. God, I've been away from you. In fact, I was never brought up in church and I've just found myself here. Someone invited me from work or whatever. I came past, I came to get my car, you know, fixed up at a smash repair on Friday. And then I thought, oh, there's a church behind here as well. I might just, might just turn up on, sun, on Sunday as well. However you came, come to God, but humbly say, God, I, I, I can't do it on my own. I, I, I don't have what it takes. I trust you above every other voice. And I trust you above myself. Love you to bow your heads, close your eyes this morning. God, we thank you right now.
Lord, we thank You for this time. Jesus, we, we humbly open our hearts. We humbly return to You. And we say, God, we, we can't do it on our own. We acknowledge, we humbly acknowledge that we have fallen. We humbly return to You because, God, You want to move in our lives. You want to come and transform us from the inside out. Still praying this morning, maybe across this place, you've either never made that decision to follow Jesus or maybe like I talked about, you have and you you know that your love has grown cold. Then we'd love to pray with you and pray for you. We're not gonna embarrass you or bring you out the front, but we we would love to know who we're praying with. So if that's you, if you wanna make this decision, this line in the sand moment to say yes to Jesus Christ, then I'd love you in a moment just to simply lift your hand. I'll see it. You can put it back down. Then as a church family, we're going to pray together. Is there someone like that this morning that wants to say yes to Jesus Christ, that you want to humbly return, maybe for the first time, or like I said, first time in a long time, to Him? If that's you, would you just lift your hand where you are, wherever you are. We're going to pray for you. We're going to declare the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Is there someone like that this morning that wants to say yes to Jesus? that wants to acknowledge that we can't do it on our own and want to say yes to Jesus Christ. Is there someone like that this morning? We thank you, Jesus. Come on, Lord, move in our hearts. Holy Spirit, move us. Jesus, we thank you right now. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud. Would you repeat it after me? Dear Lord Jesus, this morning I come to you. I lay down my life. Thank you for saving me. From this day forward, I'm going to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.